Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Good morning. It's uh, good to see you here today. Um, What if I told you that you have the greatest power that God gave you uh, right now available to you and that starting this morning you could actually begin actual ground-shaking change in any area of challenge that you're in right now. You already have this. It's not something that you need to uh, go get. It's not something that you have to go find or dig up somewhere. It's already in your your possession. The Bible is very clear in Proverbs 4 when he speaks about that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's a really incredible thought when you think about that because it puts all of the power right within your ability to think. And where you think is that the mind is a part of this heart. The heart and mind, think of them as synonymous. As a man thinks in his heart, as that mind thinks, what you choose to think, how you deal with thinking absolutely shapes your life. Your life coming to this point where you are at right now has been shaped by your thinking because your thinking shapes all of the big things about your life. It shapes your choices, number one. Every choice you've made, you would love to, as all of us would, is to put the excuse and blame on circumstances or something. But when it comes down to it, your life is a result of actual choice. You may not be able to choose the circumstances. You can be put in circumstances that you can't change right now. But you can choose your response. You can choose your strategy. You can choose what you focus on. You can choose the inner over the outer. You can make great choices about your life. That is within your power right now. This is something that once we get a hold of as believers, we can start to understand the great gift that God has given us. Now, not only has he given you a great mind with this power, But he's saying something about you as a believer. Once you become a Christian, someone who has received Christ, someone who has accepted him into their life to be their Lord and Savior, then you are given a brand new mind. More or less, there's a new way to think, a new basis of truth. There is a new perspective for you to see. There's a new journey for you to learn. This is the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, Paul is talking, he says, we can understand these things because we have the mind of Christ. So if you take the opposite, he's saying there's some things you cannot understand without the mind of Christ. There's a lot of things about Jesus that are really difficult to understand. I mean, not just that he existed, but his actions, his choices, his teachings... I mean, when he teaches you to forgive your enemies, do you understand how counter-world or counter-natural thinking that is? Our goal is to protect ourselves from our enemies or to neutralize them in some way, shape, or form, not to actually forgive. Now, when we talk about Jesus, a lot of these things that are so hard to understand 
are simply because we're trying to understand them with just our natural mind. And your natural mind is subject to a heart that is not his. So when as a Christian you, you accept Christ, you've given your heart to Christ. This new mind comes in and you have the ability to think like Jesus. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. It means that I can learn how to think like Jesus. In Philippians 2.5 it says, in your lives you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Now that's a tall order. It's a really tall order because uh, everything that comes at us is going to want us to take us outside that paradigm of learning how to think how but Jesus would about this. Jesus' thinking is so contrary to how we normally are. We're going to be looking at 10, um, can we say, self-defining things of, of how Jesus thought and how, how he thinks and, and that you can have this same mind. Jesus knew 10 basic, we're going to look, well, 18, but we're going to look at about 10 of these today of basic things that he had so clear in his foundation of how he thought and, and how he thought revealed who he is. So when we talk about this particular subject today, we're talking about a power already in your hand if you're a believer. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you've not surrendered your heart to Christ, oh, well, first off, I pray you would today. But if you have not, there's a whole different way of thinking that is not sourced in just your natural mind. But it goes beyond that into the inspiration of the Lord in your life as he inspires a whole new way to think about the things that you are experiencing and going through in life. Right now in this world, you are being bombarded by some very, we could say, um, very difficult things to process. We've got upheaval all around the world. We have geopolitical upheaval in spades in right now in our time frame. We have within our own country an upheaval that's going on, a wrestling match. We have it going on in, in uh, economics. We have it going on in social, um, can we say, redefinitions. We've got all of this upheaval that's going on. Where do you find a place to navigate through this modern world? Where do you find a place that you can find what Christ would want from Christ's thinking? This is where the Christians in times like these must not be drawn in to how the world is processing itself right now but rather to look beyond how the world processes itself to the God who made this world, to the God who owns this world, to the God whose purpose will be fulfilled in this world. And so to do that, though, you've got to think like Christ. You've got to have the mind of Christ. So we're going to look at some things that are self-defining for Jesus Christ. First off, with Christ, the one thing that he, first thing he really was clear about is that he really knew exactly who he was. You need to know exactly who you are. If you're kind of confused about who you are, you can bounce through life from pillar to pillar to pillar to pillar, trying to find yourself. How much has that phrase been thrown into modern entertainment and philosophy? You've got to find yourself. 
Well, you can't find yourself without finding your creator. The knowledge of who you are is in your creator who created you. And so that's how you find yourself because he has a definition for you. Jesus knew who he was. Here's some statements of his. He, he, made, he made many, but here's just a few. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the son of God. When you think about that, these are all very clear statements that he is making. And he's saying, this is who I am. Do you know who you are? You might think that's just a facetious question. It's not. Do you really know who you are? Are you just a product of your knowledge of your family history? Are you just a product of the experiences that you've had? Are you just a product of the circumstances that you're in? How do you self-define? How do you define? If you are, those are the things you'll define yourself by. You'll define yourself by your own accomplishments. You'll define yourself by, by your, uh, your own dreams. You'll define yourself. Jesus did not define himself that way. He knew without a shadow of a doubt who he was. And it all goes back to who he was. You need to be able to state clearly who you are. I am. Who are you? Well, that's a good question. That's what your wife asked you once. Who are you? (laughs) The fact is, is often we don't know. And we act like we don't know. And it puts us into a a, a huge identity crisis. Now, God really does want you to know your true identity. He really does. And only God can tell you what he created you for and who he created you to be. Only he can do that. So why is this so important? Because if you don't know, if you don't have this clear handle on who you are and who God made you to be, you're going to fall into all kinds of different traps. One of those traps is, well, guaranteed you're going to waste your life, but one of those traps is, first off, if you don't know who God made you, you're going to get forced into the mold that other people will put you. And they will decide for you. Wherever you leave the gap of who I am, wherever there's a gap in that, others will define you. This is where you feel like you lose yourself. You don't blame the others. It's you leaving the gap. Don't blame those that would say, well... You know, this is who I need you to be. This is who I want you to be. No, you're leaving the gap. So you have to make a clear decision simply about who you are. And you got to be very clear about it. Now, if you don't, again, deal with this, you're going to be subject to manipulation by the expectations of others. You're going to find them having untoward control over your life. You're going to find that you're going to be shaped by others. Or you'll end up, another thing that happens is you'll end up living kind of this phony life. Where it's, it's filled with a lot of pretending. You have to actually wear the mask, fake kind of who you really are. Another thing that can happen is it, it creates huge stress. If you're not, if you're not, Accepting or knowing who you really are, it really does create a lot of stress. Stress happens when you try to be something that you are not. God is never going to 
define you and cause that to bring stress like that into your life. But when we become either self-defining or we become allowing others to shape us, this is where we end up. The second thing that you've got to really get really exacting on, and we'll be, by the way, in some of the weeks coming in this take it back on your thinking. We're going to be talking about some of these in a little bit more depth. But a second thing that Jesus was really clear about is, was this. He knew God's purpose for his life. You need to know God's purpose for your life. You see, if you start with the creator in his definition for you, he doesn't just create to create. He creates with purpose in mind. You really do have purpose outside of yourself that was designed for you. You don't have to go try and make it in here. You can actually go to the one that created you and say, why? What is the purpose? And God is going to reveal to you some of those purposes. He certainly knew exactly what he was called to do. You see, Jesus did with his life. He knew his vision. He knew his purpose. He knew his goals. John 8, 14, Jesus said this, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. That's a big statement, okay? I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Would you say it would be a problem if you lost the knowledge of both of those and you're in the middle of a highway with a car somewhere? Gee, I don't know where I came from and gee, I don't know where I'm going. What's the problem? Well, the problem is where are you gonna go? How are you gonna actually with purpose turn those wheels? In what direction are you gonna navigate that car? What is the purpose of the trip in the beginning? Where were you wanting to go? What was the objective? What was the end game of this particular road trip? Without having these kind of clarities, we fall into all kinds of confusions in our life. Jesus said, I absolutely know where I came from. He knew, he, he knew that he was with the, in, in the Godhead. He knew that he had come from heaven. He knew why he was here and where he was going. He knew that he was gonna go to the cross. He knew why he came into the world. He knew what that meant for you and I. He knew that his, his way, it was gonna produce a family for eternity that God has always wanted, that he has wanted for, and that he was the price. He knew all of this. You've got to know God's purpose for your life. In Luke 2.49, there's a great little scripture. Jesus is about 12 years old. It's the only, only window we have into this age, young age. And he's, uh, they've gone to Jerusalem for Passover. And they all they kind of travel in family groups, like all of these families together, big party time, in and out. So they're on the road. They're on their way back. They've already gone a day, and they realize Jesus isn't there. So, hey. They return to Jerusalem. They find him at 12 years old. He's in the temple. And he is having debates with the elders and teaching the elders at the temple. And they say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing back here? Don't you know that we left? I mean, and Jesus said, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Right away, he knew his life first belonged to God, even at 12 years old. Never underestimate how God speaks to the young. At 12 years old, he knew what he had. His father in heaven had the business of this to be, get done, and he was getting about the business. 
oh, imagine if you had that kind of clarity. The idea that, that you could just get about the business of God in your family, get about the business of God in your business, get about the business of God in your social life, get about the business of God with your talents and your gifts, get about the business of God with your life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. That's not knowing not only who he was, but knowing his purpose. My purpose is to give life. If you were even just to apply that kind of purpose to your life, do you think that God's purpose, part of it in your life, is to bring life into your family, into your generations? Do you think that God has a purpose to bring life into your community? Do you think God has a purpose to bring life into your, into your uh, place of work? Do you think that God has, has a purpose to bring life uh, into where you like to go and do your hobbies and whatever? Don't you think he, he has his purpose in this? Here's another great scripture on this. In John 12, 27, Jesus said, my soul is deeply troubled right now. This is Jesus the night before he goes to the cross. My soul is deeply troubled, so what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this purpose that I have come. He's just saying, even in this painful thing, I know what's coming. This is the night before. Night before six trials, 40 lashes, the cross. And he said, I, I know this is the purpose. Even in pain, He wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know your purpose. Third, you have to always be aware that God is with you. This is a knowledge of that you need to have when it comes to thinking like Jesus. Jesus always knew he was never alone. Look at this in John 16, 32. Jesus says, I'm not alone because the Father is always with me. Now, he, had, he got abandoned all the time. He had huge crowds pull out on him. I mean, he had that when he'd say things like, well, you're going to have to you know, eat my body and drink my, and, and drink my blood and, and that kind of thing. And he's referring to his sacrifice on the cross. They hear that language and bang, we're out of here. He said, I'm not alone. Because the Father is always with me. How do you do that? How do you have this kind of Awareness all of the time that you're not alone. By the way, when you feel alone, that tells you you don't have the mind of Christ. When you feel like you're just isolated, cut off, nobody else is around. That's where Elijah was. Remember the story. The Lord had to change his perspective. How do you do this? The answer is prayer. Look at this Luke 5, 16. Jesus often slipped away to be alone so he could pray. And the key word there is often. All of the time. Jesus is just having these prayers. You should be having sandwich prayers. You know what sandwich prayers are? In between all the different events of your day that you're going to bottom, have little sandwich prayers. Have some dumping going on. Have some, uh, take some in. Have these little sandwich prayers. You just, you, you, you normalize prayer as a response in your life. Don't make it something special once in a while. Make it something very, very ordinary. Very, very much connected to everyday activity and every activity in the day. Make sure that in between those activities, prayer is your connection. It's being nourished. It's being treated as it actually is meant to be treated, which is it is a constant state of God awareness. You know, we all need quiet times to reflect and to renew, to recharge. Pascal, 
famous French philosopher said, most of man's problems come not from his, in- come from his inability to sit still. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Right now, maybe one of the best things you can do with the, with, with the struggles that you're in or dealing with thinking issues where you just, you just got some torment, so you're lacking peace. You've got all of the stuff pressing in, even what we're experiencing in our, in our country, in our world right now, and it's just disturbing you and all of that. Just do some sandwich prayers. Just be still here too and just know that he's God. Get God aware. You get God aware all perspective, perspective comes back. The mind of Christ gets in charge and you find yourself fueled up and able, able to move ahead with the day. Next, you need, you need to know you need a Lord. Like, you need a master. This is language that we don't like. You need a leader. You need a Lord. You need a master. That's what Jesus, when he comes into your life, is meant to be. Your Lord, your leader, your master. And you need that. And, and because you have so many parts of you that have to come into surrender as you journey with him through life. Here, here is uh, when you have the mind of Christ. God will even help you even in the choices of words. He'll, if you can, the Bible says if you can control the tongue, you, like that's the whole mastery. Because the, the tongue, as we've said, as a man speaks with his mouth, so, so is he. So the idea is this tongue if it can be controlled, James talks about, you've got control of the hardest member of your body. That's the hardest member of your body. Everything else is easier to control than the tongue. In John 12, 49, Jesus says this, I have not spoken on my own. Instead, the Father who sent me tells me what I should say and how I should say it. So not just what to say, but how what I should say, and how I should say it. When I speak, I don't speak on my own volition. I say what the Father sent me to say. How many of you have ever been saying, oh Lord, what is the right words here now? What do I say to my spouse now? What do I say to my child at this point in time? What do I say to this friend? That's a good question. Take that question to the Lord in those sandwich prayers. Make it part of understanding this is the mind of Christ. To get the mind of Christ, you look to him for this and you just say, my words are gonna fall short here. I'm looking to you. I say, well, I, I say what the Father sent me to say and I say he told me what I should say. Not only told me what I should say, he told me how I should say it. Our words matter. It's wisdom but it's needing a Lord. If you want to know how much of the Lordship of Christ is being experienced in your life, look at your words. Your words. Not others. You want to focus on other people's words. We all do. Did you hear what they said? Can you believe they said that? Maybe we should be doing a self-analysis. Can I believe I said that? (laughs) Boy, wouldn't that be a great turnaround? When you start focusing on your words, imagine the power in a relationship when the focus goes into your words. And you're saying, God, I need your lordship here right now. Because I could say some things that could really wreck some things. It could tear down. I, I need your lordship here. I, 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 I need you to be my master, my leader here. See, you gotta tell me what to say and how to say this because 
everything in me wants to grab this tongue and just rip. So God, I got one place to go. I need your mastery here. You put prayer in like that. You know you need a Lord. You recognize that you cannot do well without this. Do you think that you just might have a happier relationship if you let God, the Father, tell you what to say and how to say it? You're trading off this satiation of the wrong things. You're giving your tongue to the things that are going to tear because in that moment, you want your end. You want to make something somebody feel this pain you want somebody to back off you want your control let me say to you that doesn't build a great relationship or a great life you need a lord you need to at those moments say no what i'm feeling what's in here is not going to be the lord i need you give me the words and help me to say it the right way i didn't say disengage and do nothing I said, just change the source. Change the source. Jesus absolutely was somebody that went to the Father and said, I'm not here to speak on my own. Next, first please God. Number five, first please God. If you have the mind of Christ, you're never gonna worry about pleasing everyone. The mind of Christ doesn't worry about pleasing everyone. In fact, you can't please everyone. This is going to be big for us here this morning as we bring this one because everybody loves to be a people pleaser to some degree. And people can dominate your life in the wrong way. They will control your life because you're always worried about what are they thinking and what's their response and you're reading the body language and you're reading the words and you're trying to shape it so much as to please them, to somehow satiate what they might think of you, I guess. Is that how it works with us? You need to first please God if you're going to have the mind of Christ. You have to only live for an audience of one. You have to worry about one, what one thinks about what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're living, choices you're making. That is the mind of Christ. These are deep maturity issues. You cannot live well when you're always worried about what other people think. You can't be what God wants you to be. But if you want the mind of Christ, you will only focus on pleasing God. You'll do it because it pleases God. You'll do it simply for that reason. Jesus was never manipulated by crowds. Never. He was never manipulated by the approval or disapproval of anybody else. He just lived for his father's pleasure. John 5.30, Jesus said, I only try to please the one who sent me. Man, would that simplify life. Oh, it gets so complex, crazy complex when we're trying to please different groups of people in our life. It's just the complexities just cause our spirit to get all tied up and, and the relaxation is not there and the beauty of life leaves us simply because we're tied up with this pleasing of others. That is not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is, I'm here for the pleasure of my Father. My actions, my words, use of my life, choices I make, 
These are all in my end result must please my Father in heaven. In 530, I've read it already. I only try to please the one who sent me. Wouldn't that just simplify it? It would so much. You know, when it comes to, to the Lord, he never actually really tried to control uh, all of the results of people. He let them make their choices. Everybody. And this is God in the flesh. He let Zacchaeus make his choice. He let the people who were going to throw rocks at the woman make their choice. He let blind Bartimaeus make his choice. He let them all make their choice. And he made his. When you're trying to control those things, and please don't step out, out of that and say, I don't, I don't. Yeah. When we step into that kind of mode, it is going to tie you all up. You are not here to control God. Even God can't please everybody. Jesus did not please everybody by pleasing his father. In fact, by pleasing his father, he displeased a lot of people. You know, it's kind of funny. When it comes to you and I trying to please people, or trying to actually get what we want in life. We'll just say, you know, I want it to be sunny. What a beautiful morning it is, by the way. Somebody says, no, you know, I want it to rain. Somebody says, I want snow to snowmobile. Somebody says, uh, I want my team to win. Oh, by the way, Pastor Brent, he's fasted and prayed to make God an oiler fan, and it's never worked. <laughs> he just keeps fasting and praying, though. You can't make God what you want him to be, but you can make his pleasure the number one thing. Learn how to live to please God. If you do that, you will find yourself doing so much better because it simplifies life. You know, as a pastor, I am just absolutely acutely aware of this fact that I'm always disappointing somebody. Always. Uh, the next point I'm going to deal with is going to disappoint somebody. Every point I make is going to disappoint. Decisions that are made are going to disappoint. I'm acutely aware of that. But, but I understand that you can't please everybody. I've got to focus on him. See, no one can serve two masters, Jesus said in, in Luke 16, 13. He even just said two. Some of us are walking around with hundreds of masters. You'll either hate one or the other. You got to decide who are you going to live for. So you either live for God's approval or others people's approval. Of course, I'm telling you, don't be in a popularity contest. Instead, learn where real happiness is. And that's in pleasing your father. Six, know your dependence. Know your dependence. No, it's almost another way of saying, like, you got to know that you are not the all-powerful God. You got to know that you are completely dependent on the Lord. I depend on God's power instead of my own. It's a big one. When you have the mind of Christ, you must depend on God's power instead of your own. Because the mind of Christ is going to say, you forgive this. And you're saying, everything in your flesh is saying, no way. 
You're not going to get the power from within to accomplish what the mind of Christ says. But when you have the mind of Christ, he says, I will empower your choice. Make the right choice. I will give you the power on this thing, but you've got to make the choice. If Jesus Christ had to be so dependent on the Father, don't you think you need to be? Listen to this verse. John 5, 19, I assure you that the Son can do nothing by himself, Jesus said. He said, I can't do nothing by myself. Now, if that's a fact for him, how much of life, when it comes to the mind of Christ, are you trying to do on your own? Well, I tried to forgive. I tried to have faith. I tried. How can you do these things that are a part of the mind of Christ without the power of the Lord? And that comes simply because we know we're dependent, so we're on our knees saying, God, I need your power. I need you. We are in constant communion to expose our need and say, I can't do this. You've got to give me the power. I can't get through another day with this issue. You've got to give me the power. I can't wrestle this anymore. I'm tired. You've got to give me the power. How do you know if you're trying to do everything on your own human power? How do you know? How do you know? You're just tired all the time. You're just tired all the time. I mean, not just physically, I mean emotionally. It's just survival mode constant. You try to do it on your own. Human energy runs out. Human power runs out. It can never accomplish the mind of Christ. Next, seventh, forgive all people and it all hurts. Do you see that how the mind of Christ is... This is a defining factor. This is what Jesus does. I mean, every one of these things are self-defining for Christ. For you, it's the mind of Christ that you must now learn to live in. You must learn to think like Jesus. And when you start to learn to think uh, like Jesus, where offenses come into your life and hurts come into your life, it is going to be very difficult, but it is the only way to be healed and strong. If you're gonna learn to think like Jesus, you're gonna have to learn to forgive your enemies. And the people who hurt you. This is a hallmark of Jesus. I mean, so much. I mean, no other religious leader in history, first off, claimed to be God in the flesh. Secondly, no other leader in history said, You forgive all your enemies. Jesus is saying, Yeah, you forgive them. Right on the cross, Jesus prayed. Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's hanging in agony. He is innocent, absolutely. He's righteous, he's God. He's got his own creation putting him to death, bringing something they brought into creation to him. And he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Who has hurt you the most in life? Who are you holding grudges against? Who are you keeping back and you're not going to let them go? Who, who are you holding the pain onto the pain of, of that? You need to forgive. Not because they deserve it. Of course they don't deserve it. But you didn't deserve forgiveness either. And you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ if you've accepted him as your savior. 
He even goes further than just forgive them. He even goes further than, than forgive your enemies. He even makes it harder. The mind of Christ, the mind of Christ, to think like Jesus. Do you want to think like this? He pushes it to the limit. Not only have to, you have to forgive the people who have hurt you if you're going to learn to think like me. He says, you've got to learn to return good for evil. Matthew 5, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Just notice the verbs. Love, bless, do good, pray. Four big deals he's saying. Not only forgive them, I want you to do all of these four things. You see, I want you to love them. I want you to bless them. I want you to do good to them and I want you to pray for them. How many know there is nothing in you that can fulfill that particular truth? You need Christ. The mind of Christ, you need the power of Christ. And you might be thinking, why would I do this? Because the mind of Christ thinking like Jesus is the most healthy way to live. It's how to live in the present moment. It's how to not be carrying all of the weights and leftovers of history. It's how to live with joy now. It is how to live with a heart that is strong now, not bleeding all through life and basically on survival mode right through. You've got more than enough living. Jesus came to give you life and life to the full. How does he do that? You think like him. You need to think like him. And when you start thinking like him, you're living the most healthy way to live. It's the most healing way to live. It's the most happy way. It's the most whole and holistic way to live. It is just to have the mind of Christ. Number eight, sacrifice. It's a hard one. A lot of people will sacrifice for themselves, but if you're gonna be like Christ, you must be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others and sometimes them alone. See how hard these choices are? But this is the mind of Christ. This is how Jesus thinks. This is the thinking of Jesus. Jesus said, I came to serve. He came to sacrifice. He came to give. In Mark 10, 45, it says, I came here not to be served, not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. That summarizes the whole heart of Christianity right there. Two verbs, serve, give. To serve, to give. Jesus once said, it is only in giving your life away that you'll ever really know what it means to fully live. But when you want to hang on to your life and not do the things that are hard in the mind of Christ or the thinking of Christ. Your life will not reach its fullest potential. It won't even rise above in time survival level. You have to give your life away. Otherwise, you're never going to know how to fully live. That's sacrifice. Absolute sacrifice. But you got some things in you that don't want to give up. 1 John 2.16 for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. He's saying this is, lust of the flesh is 
This is what I want, this is what my flesh wants. Lust of the eyes, I see it, I want it, okay? And the pride of life, this is, I deserve it, I'm entitled, uh, comes not from the Father. He's saying, this is, not, this is not the Lord's thinking. It is not all this self-serving. It's not taking. It's sacrificing, it's giving, it's serving. We ought to lay down our lives for each other, Jesus said. Ninth, surrender your will. I want to do God's will, not mine. What was Christ like? He wanted to do God's will, not his own. John 6, 38, he says this, I came to do what God wants me to do, not to do what I want to do. Not many people are saying These days, I came to give my life away. I came to do for others. My whole purpose today is that God would use me in some fashion in this world for other people and to their benefit, even at my cost of sacrifice. I am surrendering. If this is the will of God that I should do this today, I will do this. Though it costs me, I will do this because I've come to do what God wants me to do. Not many people live this way. Christians, we're called to it. I came to serve, I came to give. Instead, we're saying, I got to do what's best for me. I got to do what's best for me here. I mean, no, this is it. I got to do what's best for me here. You'll hear it from others. You've got to do what's best for you here. You've got to do what's best for you. And Jesus is saying, I've got you here to serve and I've got you here to give. And I've got you here so that you can do what I want you to do. I've got you here because I have a will in this. And my will must reign supreme over your will. Your will is I've got to do what's best for me. My will is this. If you really want to find your life, give it away and surrender your will. Serve mine. John 14, 31 says, I want the world to know that I love the Father. Um, Do you know how you know you love God? Well, it's here. I want the world to know that I love the Father. That is why I do everything exactly as the Father tells me to do. I obey. That's a surrender thing. I have the opportunity not to. I can make every choice not to. I can reap a life of doing not what I was here for and not to serve as will. I can do all of that. I have, every, I have every right before God to make all of those choices if I want. But he's called you by love relationship to say, would you trust my will? Would you surrender? Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. That's how you prove your love. You surrender the will. Obedience is an evidence of love. Now to think like Jesus also means I want to do God's will even when it's painful. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. You know the story. We're coming into that season in some weeks here. In Mark 14, 36, he says his very famous words. And by the way, this is called the Gethsemane prayer. 
It's a prayer you should pray anytime you're in pain, by the way. You take this one, it's a Gethsemane prayer. There's three parts to it. And the first part, he just starts off with Abba, Father. You gotta understand Abba. Abba is this intimate word. It's in the Aramaic. It's, it just means father, but it's not just father in a formal sense. It's daddy in the, oh, daddy. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Oh, oh, just hug me, daddy. Hold me, daddy. Daddy. It's the most intimate word. Jesus is crying out, Daddy, Abba Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup. It's a cup of suffering. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, notice this, I want your will to be done, not mine. There will be many times in your life, and it won't happen just once, you're going to have a Gethsemane experience where you're in pain and you're hurting and you're praying and you'd like some relief. When, you're in, when you are in pain and you're hurting and you don't know what God's will is, because God's will was for Jesus to go to the cross, not to relieve his pain, but to let him go through that pain in order for the good of other people. Sometimes you suffer for the benefit of others. That's simply called redemptive suffering. It's suffering with purpose. Anytime you're in major pain, it is appropriate to pray the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. And there are three parts. The first part is faith. Jesus says, Father, Daddy, I know you have the power to change the situation. You can pray that too. I don't know what situation you're in, but you can pray that right now. It might be financial. It might be relational. It might be mental. It might be emotional. Whatever kind of problem. You can start off by just saying in faith, God, Father, Daddy, I know you got the power to change this. If you didn't have the power to change it, I wouldn't be talking to you. So it's faith. You start off by saying, God, I know you have the ability. I know you have the power. Father, I know everything is possible with you. That's what Jesus said. Then he said, I'm asking for your help. I would like to be delivered from this. It's appropriate for you to say, God, I'm asking for your help. I'm in a lot of pain right now and I'm asking for relief and I'm asking for you to do a miracle. That's okay. I know you have the power to do it and I'm asking you to do it to change the situation. It's faith and then asking the Gethsemane prayer. Faith, then asking. The third part though of the Gethsemane prayer is surrender. He says, really, Lord, even though I'm asking for you to take away the pain, to take away the hurt, to take away the tough time I'm going through right now, I surrender to you more than anything else, more than relief, I want your will, not mine. More than this disappearing, I want your will, not mine. So, nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. That's what Jesus said in his hour of greatest crisis. Not my will, but yours be done. That's the mind of Christ. It takes an enormous amount of spiritual maturity. Are you willing to say those things to God? God, I want to do your will, not mine. I want to do your will, not mine. This is the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 8, 9, Jesus humbled himself. It was his choice and was fully obedient to God even when he had caused his, his death on a cross. He humbled himself. God exalted him then. God raised him up to the highest place, it says. Made his name greater than any other. See, your life is not just even a testimony on this planet. It's a testimony in heaven. It's an eternal testimony. It's an eternal story. You're building it. You're writing it right now by your faith and you're asking and you're trusting the will of God, choosing the will of God despite the pain that often he is gonna leave you in and not make it just go away. 
Finally, the mind of Christ, if you really want to live it, if you want to understand Jesus and how he thought about it, he filtered everything with an eternal perspective. When you get the mind of Christ, when you begin to think the way Jesus does about your past, present, future, God, life, death, sin, salvation, friends, rewards in heaven, about your future, your confidence, always. When you begin to get the mind of Christ and think the way Jesus does, you start thinking with this eternal perspective. All of a sudden you realize there's more to life than just here and now. This is how Jesus was able to handle pain. What is unbearable is pain without purpose. But human beings can stand enormous amount of pain if they can see a purpose in the pain. See then, secondly, a reward past the pain. That's exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He looked past the pain. He's in excruciating pain. He's carrying mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He's carrying all of this. And he looks past the pain and he looks to the reward of you and heaven and eternal family and grace having been purchased and a new covenant with the Lord God of heaven by which you can have wonderfully beautiful mercy from God and a life of grace of building and journeying and learning and growing. He just looked past all his own pain to you. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus was willing to die a shameful death on the cross. Why? Because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. He knew, he just knew. It's gonna be joyful later. I got purpose in this pain. Okay, let's wind this up today. You and I are in a place where this world is so unpredictable. There are so many things that come your way. There's things that have bit you this week. They, some of them may bit you very deeply. It may be just the general, can we say, heaviness of the world, even in the climate that we are in, in, in every which way these days. I don't know. I don't know what's weighing on your soul the most. Here's what I do know. You need the mind of Christ, believer. You need to understand Jesus' thinking on life. You take even just some of these 10 things and start to think differently. And you're going to find that it's going to change your heart. It's going to change your life. Because this is the key word. Metanoia. And you said, what did you say? I annoy you? No, I said metanoia. <laughs> I'm not saying you annoy me. Maybe I annoy you. That's probably more like it. But here's the deal. You ready? Metanoia. This is the Greek word. Do you know what it means? Meta, change. Noia, your mind. Do you know what word that is that you and I use? Repentance. Let me close with this thought for you. Quit treating repentance as a one-off. Like I repented, wonderful. I've received Jesus, wonderful. And guess what's gonna dominate the rest of your life? Changing your mind. Do you know that discipleship is just the growth of metanoia? If you're just getting head knowledge but there's no change, you are not a disciple. This means nothing. 
It's all about the metanoia. I'm changing my mind. That's discipleship. So now, repentance becomes something all of the time going on in my life. I am metanoying all day. I can metanoia you all day. I mean, I... You know what you tend to get into? Probably with some of the trips I had earlier in life. It was the kind of thing where it's like, well, metanoia. Like, if I have, you know, if, if I still am repenting today after walking with Jesus for like this many years, I mean, what's going on, right? What's going on is, do you know how vast the mind of Christ and how difficult it is to lift the mind of Christ and to live that out in the real world? I'm metanoying all the time. I'm saying, oh my gosh, my thinking's not your thinking. I need to change my thinking. I repent of that. I change my thinking. I'm not getting saved all over again. I am being changed. So welcome to the life of metanoia. Welcome, if you're a believer, to the life of changing your mind. It's like my wife on Sunday morning with what she'll wear. <laughs> How's this look? Great. How's this look? Great. How's this look? Great. If you're a young guy, just married, you just got the best advice in the world right there. How many here change their mind a lot about what they're gonna make for dinner, have for dinner? How many change what you're gonna do for activity today? How many change, you know, you start a movie, end a movie, start a movie, end a movie, start a movie, end a movie. How many do that? Come on, be honest. A lot of movie watchers here. All right, here we go. You start, you end. You start, right? This is what you do, right? You go five minutes in, eh, don't feel like that. Changing your mind. Imagine trying to think, how would we think so crazy to think that somehow we can all of a sudden just think totally like Jesus? No, we can know how Jesus thinks and then we must learn how we think and we must metanoia our ways to how he thinks. Oh, you're going home with a brand new term. You're gonna walk home. You're gonna say this to each other, aren't you? You need to metanoia. (laughs) Just ask me where, I know where. You need to do a lot of metanoiaing. Let's stand together. The greatest thing about repentance is how liberating a life of this ongoing change of mind is. How beautiful it is to know that even when I don't think like Jesus and it disturbs me when I see, oh my gosh, I know how he wants me to think here, what I need to do. He wants me to bless my enemies. Like that's beyond just even do a little good. This is like, bless them? Are you, really? Really. But you'll never do it without a change of mind. You have to metanoia to do it. Are you good? Lord, we bow before you. We thank you that you have brought to us a whole new way to think. We thank you, Lord God, that uh, we are in a time, yes, of great challenge. But Lord, we can make something incredible of our lives, starting right at this moment, if we'll just start to change the way we think. 
because we will be honest that it's not like you think. We're not thinking like you on this relationship. We're not thinking like you in this money or this economics. We're not thinking like you in the way our life is lived out in the stewardship of gifts and talents. We're not thinking like you. Take us through this daily and teach us, Lord, how to think like you, Jesus. May your Holy Spirit drive this into our hearts a little deeper, bring in the liberty of the freedom of changing our mind and growing in that every day. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.